I was once like really raging, like I would, I would drop of the hat, man. I go off. I would rage, and then in those two years, man, I barely even bat an eye. I don't rage anymore. I don't get angry as much anymore. Welcome to Revelations, the place where we communicate truth to power. I am Cole Johnson, and I am so glad you're able to join us. He was a practicing atheist. Yes, I did say was. Yes, I did say atheist. He also became a pastor. Ladies and gentlemen, public speaker, soon to be podcast host, former atheist and current pastor, Jim Burgoon. Jim is his name. And this is his revelation. Thanks for having me on, my friend. Uh, it's so great to have this conversation, uh, for not only just for your benefit, but for your audience's benefit. Because again, it's as you said, it's trying to bring truth to light. Exactly. 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 Yeah. And speaking of bringing truth to light. So I was supposed to interview this wonderful gentleman about four months ago. And I had something that happened to me and I had to postpone it. And, 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 and the poor guy, I couldn't get back to him because it was just, life was just beating me down so hard. But I made it, I put it in the back of my mind. I said, okay, when the time is right, reach out to Jim and say, this interview is happening right now. And so I did. He was happy, of course. And when, <laughs> when it came time to book this interview, I actually double booked it. <laughs> so I said, this guy is going to, as nice as he is, he's going to say, uh, I'm not going to fool with this guy. <laughs> I'm just going to part with him as fast as possible. <laughs> but uh, we got together, we talked, and here we are. And I could not be more ecstatic. It's definitely been, it's definitely been the journey uh, getting here. And, you know, even in that, it should be a life lesson for people, not, not just you and I, but for life in general, is that life happens. You know, and if we're going to hold people to standards, then we got to understand that sometimes life happens and we all need to be flexible and have that, uh, that air of grace. They see why I like you. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, (laughs) We can't be rigid with every other person in our lives. If we, you know, if, if, if things happen for us, things happen for other, uh, Things have for us, things have for other people too. So that makes sense. Yeah. And, and, and the thing I think about this, man, is because, you know, I deal with a, a lot of people. And when we're in the space that we're in, you know, podcast or entrepreneur, all those things, you get in this place where everybody's like, I just want to help people. I just want to help people. I want to impact people. But then you think, here's the test. Now get this. Here's the test. How do, how do they respond when there's a person who is actually in need? How are the, what is that response? If it's, a, if it's an angry response, if it's an annoyed response, a frustrated response, instead of that graceful response, you ask the question, are they really trying to impact people or are they just trying to leverage their own self for their own needs? And if I'm, if I'm, a serious, if I'm serious about impacting you and impacting people, and I am, this is my life, then I've got to understand that the ebbs and flow of life are going to happen. And if I truly want to impact people, I got to enter their space. And that's where grace yeah, comes in. Yeah, that is where grace comes in. 
And that is right, <laughs> right there. That is a quintessential definition of empathy. And if, if, uh, if, if for nothing else for a Christian, and yes, we're going to get real deep into Christianity and the Christian walk. Uh, if for anything else, if we don't learn anything about being a Christian, uh, it, the biggest thing is you have to be empathetic. You just have to be, you have to be. Otherwise, like you said, grace can't even enter into the picture. Yeah. So I, oh man, I'm going to enjoy this conversation so much. So <laughs> I, 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 I was in this group and I ran across this guy named Jim Bergoon and, and I saw a little bit about you and we talked a little bit about, uh, about your, uh, your past, but I want to go so far into your past as in, uh, where did Mr. Bergoon uh, get his life? So uh, you live in Orlando now. Uh, is Orlando uh, your place of birth? I would assume not, but I'm not going to assume. Okay. No, it is not, actually. I was born on, I was born on the planet Earth. And <laughs> so, but, you know, um, I'm actually was born and raised in uh, Philadelphia. You know, we're, and at that point, everybody in their head is probably thinking the Will Smith, Smith song from Fresh Prince of Bel Air, you know, because I was born and raised in Philadelphia. Uh, I did join the military after I was about 18. No, I was about 20. Joined the mil- well, how old was I? 18. I joined the military, got a chance to travel the world, uh, got out of there, moved around a little bit, uh, got out, met my wife. When I met my wife, we moved to Georgia. We were living in Tennessee, Georgia, back into. Um, we went to Florida, back up to Georgia and just get this. I mean, this is a journey, my friend. And it was in Georgia where I finally met Christ. And then from there, we got called to plant a church in South Florida. Ooh. I mean, it was just, it's been a crazy journey. And, and, you know, like I said, I've been all over the world. I've even had got a chance to do a missions trip in Thailand. Uh, so it's been, it's been a crazy journey, man. Mm. Yeah, but I'm 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 from Philadelphia, and actually this year, due to my wife's illnesses and things, we're going to be moving back to Philadelphia. Whoa! Now see, now that I didn't know. Wow. Okay, I did not know you were going to move back there. Okay, so yeah, coming full yeah, circle. All right, so explain to me life in Delaware Valley. How was that for you? Ah, oh, man, growing up, uh, you, you have your as everywhere. I mean, you have your ups and downs, but the where I grew up was really rough. Like you had to make a name for yourself. If not, you were fighting friends. You had a few of them, but a lot of them were people you just kind of kept at arm's length. So, you know, I grew up rough. Uh, you know, we talk about dysfunction and, it, you know, dysfunction is the nowadays thing. You know, it used to be every, not everybody was dysfunctional. Now we're all dysfunctional. And where I grew up is like the epitome of dysfunction. <laughs> so, you know, if dysfunction had a child called dysfunction, that's probably where I would have lived. And because, you know, I had a dad that walked out on me when I was four years old, went through a lot of emotional stuff. Um, when I was a teenager, I had two suicide attempts, just different things because of the life that I lived. It was very hard. It was very rough. Um, but I just kept being me and kept moving forward. Hmm. Yeah. And I know a few people who have lived in Philadelphia and seemingly the story is the same. You know, it's, uh, you know, you 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 have struggles and for some reason that area produces uh, a toughness unlike most others because 
of what you all learned in the struggle. So uh, how how has the impact of your father leaving you at an early age? uh, How did it feel you then and how does it fuel you now? Um, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured it was going to be a leaping answer to that. But, uh, uh, you know, because we're living in a fatherless generation. Let's just get to the point of it. And in a fatherless generation, we have people who are falling apart, who don't have the identity they need, who are trying to find their way and they just can't. There's no stability. And that happens because fathers walk out of kids' lives. You know, and it was no difference with me. My dad walked out. He was a liar. He did different things. He walked out on me when I was four years old. Um, And I didn't hear from him nor see see him until I heard from him when I was 34. So 30 years I didn't hear from this man. And then I'm pastor in a church and I start, I put something up on Facebook about, you know, doing a Dave Ramsey, teaching Dave Ramsey stuff. And through my email, get this, he emails me. And he's, and he starts cussing me out. I haven't seen this man in 30 some years. He's cussing me out, telling me what a loser I am. And he did this twice. Now I, I didn't respond. I didn't, I didn't garner him need of a response. He was trying to ick me into a response. I wasn't going to give him because sometimes guys, you just don't need to respond to stupid. You just really don't. And because here's the deal. I don't play that game. You're going to come up to my level of maturity. I'm not coming down to your level of immaturity. And that's just how it rolls. And so, you know, I just let it go. Did it hurt? Yes. Did it, was it pain? Yes. Did I want to reach across the computer screen and just rip, rip them a new one? Absolutely. But I did, I was not going to go there. Now we talk about the impact on me, man. I grew up very, very angry. I grew up, you know, fighting. I grew up my, even though I was, uh, my grades were good. I just grew up really rough because I didn't have anybody to guide me. And then my mom was there. My grandma was there. My two sisters, my mom's friends were women. And then she had all, they all had all daughters. So I didn't even grow up with guys in my life. And the only man that I had was my grandfather. And this plays into the story too. And I watched him choke to death when I was 10. Wow. So, yeah. So you think about that. This has been my experience with guys in my life was abandonment was, you know, rejection was all this stuff. And then watching my, my, the only guy that I loved, my grandfather, it created in me that I wasn't going to trust anyone over the age of me. Anybody older than me, I wouldn't trust you. Which was funny because at about the time my grandfather died was about the same time I became an atheist. Because if my dad could do that, my grandfather can do that, well, sure enough, God was going to do that. And so I said God was dead to me. So at, t- at, at age 10 years, now, contexting this story, when I was three, four, five years old, I had a legitimate call into ministry. I knew I was going to be in ministry one day. And then having all this life happen, and then at age 10 being like, God, you're dead. You don't even exist, which got me into atheism, which I, I was very rejected as a kid, didn't have many friends, which got me into a group of friends who put me into witchcraft. And all this time, all I was looking for was that figure in my life to guide me. That's all I was looking for, somebody to accept me and love me and to guide me, and I didn't have that. So fast-forwarding it, if I can here, you know, I met my wife. We were met in the military. My wife was a Christian. I was not. I was still practicing all this other stuff. 
And she actually stood up to me one day and said, I know you may leave me, but I'm going to follow Jesus. And I spent two years with that. And I wound up giving my life to Jesus. And then for two and a half years, God gave me this real strong scripture that said, I will father the fatherless. And then Jason Upton wrote a song about that. And then for like two to three years, God really dealt with me on the residue of all of that. And he was like, man, your, your dad left, but I never did. You know, don't, don't, proje- don't project the, the, the sins of this one man on me because I'm not your dad. I'm not your earthly father. I am so much greater, so much better. And so it created this whole value system in me. God himself did this. The, the word is true when he says, I will father the fatherless, give you identity, give you value, give you direction. And it's been that way. And, and I'm telling you, and I was once like really raging. Like I would, I would drop a hat, man. I go off. I would rage. And then in those two years, man, I barely even bat an eye. I don't rage anymore. I don't get angry as much anymore. Because I've, I've got the value, I've got the stability, I've got the foundation. Because God truly fathered me. And he still does. To this day, even through all the stuff we're currently going through, he still, he still whispers in my ear, I tr- trust me, I've got you. And that's all I can do. It is utterly, well, before I, I continue, let me do this real fast. Uh, you said a statement that is shirt worthy. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to come down to your level of stupid. I love that. I love that brilliant and bravo. And I 100% agree with you on that. Yeah. The fact that you, that you didn't take the bait to be goaded into, uh, a war of words and a war of emotion. Yeah. That, that definitely shows how, how God can just be in you and, and dwell in that situation. And you still have the positivity to move forward. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's amazing to me because you mentioned a lot of things. It's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing to me, the power of a woman in, in a man's life. And I didn't quite understand what the Proverbs 31 woman was until I would probably say until I met my wife, I, I didn't quite understand what it was when someone says that I remember saying it in scripture and reading it and, and understanding it in my head, but seeing it in practice is a totally different realm of understanding. And, 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 and the fact that you basically laid out to, to us, uh, your, your wife being a Proverbs 31 woman, basically saying, look, uh, you can understand, uh, that's the most important thing in my life. And, uh, and it's going to be that whether you join with me or not, that's a power. That's a Absolutely. great power to have. And, it is. and, and you learn how much of a powerful woman it is to, to say, Hey, I love you, but I love God more. And I want you to be with me and I want you to love God like I do and love God for yourself. Like I love God for myself. But, uh, if you can't, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, let me give you, let me give you a layer to that too, because, Mm -hmm. you know, she wasn't, when we first met, she wasn't a Christian either. And so when, you know, she was raised maybe in a, in a Baptist school and things like that, but she was not a Christian when we met. And so late, like two years into our relationship, I'm trying to teach her how to be a witch. I'm trying to get, show her how to access the mind power and all this Mm -hmm. other stuff. 
And then, then not like six months after that, she said, nah, she don't want to do that. Six months later, she found herself on the floor giving her life to Jesus off of a Kurt Cameron show. Like one of his messages, like two o'clock in the morning, she gave her life to Jesus. And then, then she stood up. I mean, she was a brand new Christian when she stood up to me. Hmm. And that was that single powerful, um, you know, confidence she had is what truly impacted me to make me want to rethink what I'm doing. Mm. Why is it that all of a sudden I have in my spirit, show me that smile again. I'm sorry. I was thinking growing. No, it's awesome though. Because, uh, but yeah, Kirk, Kirk Cameron, of course, died in a world Christian and uh, has done some wonderful stuff for many decades. Now I want to, I want to go back to, when you said that you were a practicing atheist and I've always wanted to talk to somebody about that. And I think you mentioned to me why it was as if you had to have a search for something, a search over a foundation. And I always thought that I always thought that you needed to have like this, this grounding, this, this search of the search for identity because we got to belong to something. So, uh, and you almost fortified that with how you expressed it. Uh, so ex- explain to me uh, the appeal of atheism to you and uh, and how you look at it now, considering that you now uh, are a are a pro Christian. Right. Uh, that's a great question, too. You know, atheism. One thing I explain to people is everybody's got to believe in something. Even when atheists say I believe in nothing. Well, you're believing in the, your belief of nothing. So everybody believes in something. And so you understand that even atheism is a belief system. And so back then, for me, it was a safe place to go because I was running. And looking back on it, you know, they always say that looking back has hindsight 2020 when you look back. And looking back on it, when I went into it, I just said, you know, God, you're dead. And, you know, we, we know that Nietzsche, the father of modern atheism, he actually wrote that book, you know, The Death of God. And so... But you understand that I said that. I said, God, you're dead. You can't exist. How can you, who say you're loving, do this to me? Look at my life. It has been junk after junk after junk. So you're dead to me. So, and that's how I started that. I didn't, when I was, when I was back then at 10, I didn't know what atheism, quote, atheism is, was. I couldn't name it like I can now. But I knew I, I just at that point, I didn't want to believe in anything because I didn't want to give my control over to something or someone that I could never understand because I couldn't understand my situation. And now you look at it back from, from this point of view on backwards. Atheism fit me. And here's the one thing that a lot of people don't understand, I think. Atheism is definitely for the intelligent. Every atheist I've ever met, myself included, are highly intelligent people. They're highly, uh, very with it. It's not because I know a lot of Christians who say, you know, if you're just an atheist, you're stupid. No, you're not. The problem is, is most Christians can't stand up to atheists because they have some really great questions and rational thoughts that most Christians don't know their Bible well enough or why they believe what they believe to be able to stand and give an answer to those things. Amen to that. Mm -hmm. But it's not something to be afraid of. It's something to be engaged with. Atheists, atheists, most atheists that I know, and then you get the popularized atheists who are, you know, yeah, with Christianity, all Christians stink. No, nah, that's not most people. Just like, you know, uh, any, any genre, anything, it's not most people. The deal is, is that the average atheist doesn't mind having a good conversation. 
doesn't mind sitting there. As long as you're not going in to just convert them, let Jesus do that. That's not your job to convert people. Your job is to present information. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convert people. And as long as you just go in and understand, help them understand uh, and have that good conversation, go in to learn, hear their points of view, but also share yours. And don't be afraid to share your experiences. And looking back, atheism was easy for me. It was easy to, in all of my pain and hurt to say, I don't want to believe in anything because it's too painful. Because to admit that God existed was to admit that I had to face the pain. But if God doesn't exist, then I make my own rules and I make my own way so I didn't have to face the pain I was going through. And for me back then, it was a win-win. I don't have to face pain. I don't have to answer it anybody. Let's move on with life. How did the military come into play? Well, the military was interesting. I just decided I wanted to run away from Philadelphia. I was done. <laughs> I, was living, <laughs> I, just, I was living the life that I didn't want to live in a way I didn't want to live it. Uh, I was just like, you know what? I'm done. What's the first thing I can do? And I, and I didn't want to learn to kill anybody. So I joined the Coast Guard. They, I said, at least they got, those guys are trained to save lives. Yes, I was trained in weaponry. But our first objective was to get out there and save people. And so I was like, yeah, I'll join that one. And so I did. And so it was just kind of a random jump in the boat and go on with my life thing. Um, and, but I'm going to tell you, it's really funny how one decision can actually, te- you know, create the massive ripples in your life that create the life that you've never believed possible. Because, it, cause here's, think about this, that one decision that I jumped just, jumped and how God, I was an atheist and a witch back then. And God just really put it all together. I jumped just to get out of somewhere, to run from somewhere, to be done with it. And that decision put me in the military that made that, that put me together with my wife, that I met her in the military that got me to move out. Once we you know got out of the military, we moved to this place in Georgia that introduced me to Christ that from that place, we moved down into Florida, which introduced, which got me church planning, and now we're here. So it's just one small decision caused a huge ripple that changed the entire course of my life. And I'm sitting here today because I made that decision. If I had never made that decision, I would probably be sitting in Philadelphia doing nothing but working and not impacting people like I wow, am Wow, that's powerful. That's powerful. So it uh, sounds like to me, in your journey of being in the military, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, either you gave your life to Christ then, or you gave your life to Christ soon thereafter. Uh, so, uh, how was the experience of you surrendering your life to Christ? Oh gosh, man, that, that is, I'm not your traditional, I surrender guy. Um, <laughs> I'm not the, I'm not the, I weeped on an altar, gave my life to Christ guy. Uh, interesting enough, uh, you know, it was after the military. I got out in 2002, 2004-ish is when I gave my life to the Lord. Um, in the military, man, I was a party guy. I was a drunk. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I just kept going down the spiral. Got out in 2002. That was about the time my wife was like, you know, this is not what we're going to do. And so two years later, um, even then when I gave my life to the Lord, uh, the lady, I, I moved over to this small country church, right? Didn't even know this church, but my wife became a Christian. And I agreed to go with her one time, one time. And so I went and I'm sitting there in church and I'm falling asleep. I'm having trouble. I, I can't sit still. I mean, God was all over me. And it felt like this pastor who I've never met before was reading my mail, dude. Like he got into my secret stash and he was like, let's, let's talk about this. And this was the whole message, man. 
And then, then I'm working, I'm, I'm working at Walmart and the lady that I'm working with is, is a gifted evangelist. Get the story. And every day for two and a half weeks, two to three times a day that I was at work, someone would come up to me and offer me to take me out to dinner so that they can talk to Christ, about Christ with me. And this lady who's been a Christian, she was a Christian for like 15, 20 years when I met her. She was like, I've never seen anything like that. She said, God really wants you for some reason. <laughs> and, and so I was like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. But it was one of those things where um, I met with the youth pastor on Thanksgiving. So I was actually gave my life to the Lord on Thanksgiving. And I met with the youth pastor and I debated him for four hours. Like for, this was a four hour conversation. It ended Thanksgiving day, two o'clock in the morning. Okay. And so we got in there, we're going back and forth and this stuff. And I said, fine. At the end of it, I was just frustrated. Fine. I'll do it your way. And my prayer, and this is what I tell people. My, now, now the youth pastor, youth pastor did take me through, you know, what the traditional prayer is, but my prayer to God that stuck with me, God, I don't like you, but I'll learn to love you. Um, I haven't been able to do it my way, so I'm going to try it your way. That was really what my heart was saying. That was my prayer. That's how I got saved. Wow. And, and then we ate, then we ate pecan pie afterwards. And I mean, there were good Southern people, pecan pie, two o'clock in the morning. Good, good thing. So then when I got home to, now here's the other part of the story. When I got home with my, with my wife, they were all, she was over with the other lady, the evangelist, and they were over at the house praying the whole time for me. They're like, so we go over to pick her up. And I was like, and she looks at me. And I'm solemn, man. I'm like, I'm not joyful. I'm not jumping. I'm not, I had an experience. You know, I felt the Holy Spirit for the first time. I'm not jumping. I'm not, I'm like, what did I just do? And what just happened? (laughs) So when I look at her, she can't read me, man. She's like, did you, did you not? Do I need to run? Do I need to not? I was like, yeah, I think I just gave my life to Jesus. <laughs> she starts crying. She's jumping. Awesome. And I'm sitting there like in shock, man. Awesome. And, and it was so funny because then she tells me, we, get, we were getting married like three months later. She then, te- or four months later, she then tells me, she's like, well, good, because if you didn't get, if you didn't get Jesus in your life, I was leaving you at the altar. <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, it got to the point where it's just quite comical. I, uh, I, we, we flew, over, flew over to Cancun for our honeymoon. And I got the New Testament out and I read the entire New Testament on the flight because I was like, well, if I'm going to die on this plane, then I need to figure out who I'm going to go meet because I just gave my life to them and I need to figure out who I'm going to meet. So if I'm going to die on this plane, I might as well read some of the gospels. So I wound up reading the whole New Testament on the flight over to Cancun and on the flight over and back. And so, cause I was, I was surely man. I was like, I'm going to die on this plane, a rickety old Mexican plane, man. I was like, I was done. <laughs> oh like, my god! So yeah, man, it was fun. Oh, I, I, I was just imagining when you were saying that. I was like, okay, so you're you're gonna have this wonderful excursion with your your new bride, yet, and, and I'm thinking about getting to uh, Revelation, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, yeah, <laughs> his mindset will be, uh, oh wow, uh, this is some heavy stuff to to consider, but. Woo. Yeah. Oh yeah, honey, man. you look good. Yeah, honey, <laughs> honey, you look you look fantastic, lady. But oh but, my gosh, but you, that, look great. you look great. And uh, but the deal was was that yeah, man. And try re- reading Revelation when you're thirty thousand feet up in a plane that you don't trust. 
Oh, well, okay. Well then, since we mentioned her, uh, take me back to when you did meet the woman who is not your wife. Um, let's see. When I met a woman who was not my wife or the woman who's currently my wife. Oh, all right. Well, the woman who's currently your wife. Okay. Because yeah, because, uh, part of my journey, I, I was a little bit of a womanizer, not proud of that. But it was because I was so angry at the world that I didn't care who I hurt because I was really hurt. Right. Um, and interesting enough, when I met my wife, I met her in the military. We met in um, in boot camp, not boot camp, in A school. We were actually in A school. And for you guys who don't know military terms, A school was the military rating school. It's where we got our jobs. And I remember when I first saw her, and again, small decisions, man, make huge impacts. And I got to thank my mom for this. This was my mom's doing. Now get this. So I, when I first met my wife, I was just this kind of guy. I was, you know, the Lord's really done a work in me. I, we talked and I said, hey, um, you know, we're going to have fun for the next two weeks, three weeks. But after that, I'm getting somebody else because I really don't want anything with you. And <laughs> I said that to her. You know, I, I, was oh. just, I was just plain and simple. I was like, you know, my, 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 my pickup line, and I, I'm a kid character dude and my pickup line to her was simply hey you, you know because she had these little mutton chops on her on her head like her side of her head so i called her elvis she had a donna reed attitude with an elvis walk oh no and i said man next time you're gonna do you're gonna bake cookies and be like oh uh-huh. you know i didn't care i was just laughing it up having fun oh, and God. she laughed you know haha we had a good time but the deal but the deal was was i did I, I flat out told her i said in two weeks i'm getting somebody else sorry if that offends you then go keep walking and I remember we just started building this relationship and my mom said, Hey Mary, why don't you come up for Christmas? And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> um, I said, are you kidding me? Are you seriously kidding me? And so, but it was the best decision ever because it was that Christmas where we actually started becoming a relationship. Um, and it was really funny um, and she knows the story and we talk about the story is, you know, we were up there and then this one girl who I'd been chasing for months, like for like months, if not a year, comes up to my truck. I open the window. I'm like, Hey, what's going on? And she starts kissing me, this other girl. Wow. And I'm like, well, okay then. And so I come back and I'll tell you the type of type of thing and how God just plays into this. Cause God was all over this, even when I was not, and I didn't care. Mm-hmm. was that I walked back to, to my wife and I told her, I said, this girl just kissed me. And I said, I don't know why, but I feel really guilty right now. I said, I've done this dozens of times and I didn't care. And I said, I feel really guilty with you over this. And I said, I think I really want to try to have a real relationship. And I'm going to tell you that was New Year's Eve of 2000. And 18 years later, we, we're, in a, we're in a strong relationship. We have two kids. We're ministry. Had no idea, no idea. Uh, we battled through. My wife has uh, a couple diagnoses of mental illness. We battled through all that. I mean, we're we're a strong couple who believe in the Lord and who just keep walking forward. Mm. It is utterly amazing when the the partner that God fashions for you comes into play, and and it is the the I didn't see this coming type of feeling. And it's like, wow, you know, and like with me, with my wife, uh, now I can't really claim that I'm a woman because that just wasn't me, but right. I, I, but I was dating 
other people when I, when I reconnected with my wife. And I remember after I actually talked with her and reconnected with her, I remember actually saying, okay, this is what you have to do from this point forth. You'll have to prioritize, prioritize every single woman and understand, have them understand that there is someone who will come before every other one of them. And if they don't like it, they can kick rocks, but you have to do this. No one told me that. No one said, this is what you need to do. I was compelled within my heart to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how that is. It is amazing how that is. Now you mentioned a couple of issues, not issues. I'm sorry, a couple of topics. One, we talked about atheism that I wanted to talk to you about. And when I studied you, the other was church planting. So I, I have an understanding as to what, what that entails. But for those who don't understand, uh, what goes into planting a church? Uh, blood, sweat, and tears. Um, you know, mm, yeah. just, you just got to grab a shovel and start digging, and hopefully you find some down below. Uh, eventually you'll find a church, right, if you dig deep enough. And the reason, and I right. say that because I say this, is because planting is, is the epitome of a seed. You plant a seed, you dig deep, you plant a seed, you water a seed, it grows. Um, when they say the terms church planning, it just means you're going to take the gospel into an area. You're going to start with, you know, the people you're at. You're going to reach people, whatever you're going to do. And then all of a sudden, after a long time, you know, you gather enough people and then you start gathering together in a building and you start being able to have, you know, what traditionally is church. Um, that's really what it is. But this is, it's, it's the very beginning stages. So in our journey, we went to Port St. Lucie. It was me, uh, my best friend, well, actually two of my best friends. And so we decided to start down there. We, we've, I had never been to the area, but he, my, my friend was the actual senior pastor at the time. And he was in, he's from the area. So we started, we came down. We didn't really know anybody. And we started with three people in our living room and we wound up being 60, 70 members, um, after that. So, uh, interesting enough, something that usually doesn't happen, the church planning pastor, which was my buddy Kevin, left a year into it and I became the pastor after that. And I wound up doing pastoring it for about seven mm. years. Wow. Which dovetails right into my next question. Cause I was going to say, uh, you knew that you had this call in your life uh, from since you were a child. How was it to know that call was in you when you actually became the senior pastor of the church that you helped to plant? Well, interesting enough, I told God I wanted, I didn't want it. I was like, nope, nope, just didn't want it. And because I, you got to remember what I knew the call of ministry was in my life. I was, I'm from Philadelphia, man. The only thing we know up there is Catholic. Like there were other, there were other things existing, but we didn't know everybody was a priest. So I thought, man, um, I'm going to wind up being a priest, but I, but it confused me because I, I like dating. I like being with girls. I like those things, you know, I liked, and, and to be a priest, you had to be celibate your whole life. And I was like, I don't think I like to do that. <laughs> I even knew that as a kid, you know, I was like, man, I wanted to have my own family, but, right. um, so, but the deal was, was that when I got out of Philadelphia, I realized there was more ministry than just Catholicism. And for you guys, Catholicism are Christians. Just, just let's clarify that. Um, but the deal is, is that when I came down, I was happy working with youth, man. I'm great with working with uh, youth, teenagers. And I was like, man, I, I had made a deal with God that I was going to be a career youth pastor, man. And if you ever had made those deals where you agree, but God doesn't, that was my life. And so when my, my pastor friend, my best friend was leaving, 
his mom had brain cancer. So, you know, there was circumstances. He just didn't get up and leave. He actually, you know, he said, well, I'm getting out of here. Uh, and we want you to be the pastor. I say April fools, right? I said it was January. And I'm just like <laughs> April fools. I was like, you crazy. I said, that's not what me and God agreed upon. So, yeah. Yeah. So we went into a season of fasting, fasting and prayer. Um, and then there are a lot of revelations that happened. Like I got my, my master's degree in church leadership and I, the podcast that we're listening to, the things I was consuming and both, you know, Holy Spirit put on my heart and, and my best friend said, if you're so happy being a career youth pastor, why is it that the things you're consuming are for senior pastors and not youth pastors? You don't listen to anything that deals with youth pastoring, and yet you want to be a career youth pastor. Mm. And I was like, that's a good point. And I I scared to death. I said, all right, let's try it. Let's do it. And man, I'll tell you what, my first week, dude, I was scared. And even, you know, my first week, all right, so get this. So week one, nine days into pastoring, my, my other pastor just left. I got the reins. We're moving forward. We had like a citywide you know, thing that actually made national news. One of the members of my church, uh, her child drowned in the, in the, in the, uh, in the bathtub. Like she had walked out of the room for a minute and he was dead. Right. And so not nine days in, I'm burying a nine month. That was my introduction to pastor. Oh man. And and it was so hard for me because I had a nine month old and to see that small casket, and dude, it was like fire after fire after fire because it was, it was hurting people. Uh, people were hurting. And so, I mean, you know, I could tell you story after story of just things, man, that were just like, dude, I went more, I, I believe I went through more as pastoring my first couple of years than a lot of pastors ever go through through their career. And I don't know what God's prepared me for with that. I'm still looking for that and <laughs> figure that out but it's been one battle after another, but I've learned so much and I've grown so much from it. Yeah. If you don't grow from being a pastor, something is wrong with you. Uh, and it, it doesn't surprise me at all that. I mean, I've, I've heard how you talk and how you move and I agree with you. I agree with your friend. Uh, you unknowingly were preparing yourself to lead a church. So you, in the conversation we had before this conversation began, uh, you planted this church and you were charging forward, but you said that uh, your wife's uh, mental illness had to have you take a step back from that. Yeah. Explain that process and how, how it, how it went and how it has progressed since then. You know, uh, she's had this her whole life. Uh, the illness, I mean, mental illness doesn't just happen, you know, uh, so one of the things is, is for a while, you know, she, for the first, I don't know, 10 years, we, we, she didn't have a diagnosis. So we had to fight through a lot of battles that we had no understanding why we were battling. And so the fact that we made 10 years is, is a miracle in itself. So then from there, she, she actually got Baker acted and diagnosed um, because she was, she, she was going to commit suicide. And so she got Baker acted and they diagnosed her. She's, she actually has a bipolar borderline personality disorder and OCD. And so, you know, trying to go through that, working through the medical, medical management of that, working through the therapy of that. Um, this last year and a half has been one ride after another, if I can say it that way, because, all right, so we had this whole plan. All right. So, um, we, 
my wife was getting, getting worse, more and more unstable. When we say worse, it just means unstable. She'd already been through the hospital like twice that year, three times. And so as time was progressing, we were like, we need to do something about that. Uh, then she had this really massive trigger. And for you guys who don't understand mental illness, triggers means when you're emotionally just set off and then you're, the, you're in the throes of the illness and there's nothing you can do about it. And there was a lot of things happening right then. Well, after she calmed down, Holy Spirit really started speaking to me and was like, you need to go ahead and get her to a medical facility so that she could become stable again. And I think it was about then I, I called and I said, hey, look, guys, I'm going to step down from the church because my wife's important and she needs this. And this is what I feel God's saying. Mm. And so we did. It was the hardest decision I ever had to do. Uh, we sold our house. I, I was a uh, public school teacher at the time as well. So I was, you know, that's how you supplement your income. So we came out here and I kid you not, when we came out here to Orlando, it was like within two weeks after we came out here, she was hospitalized for 30 days. And we found the facility that we were going to go to. So God really spoke to us on that. And then it came to pass. And she was in there for about 30 days, two different hospitals. And she came out still not very stable, I guess I can say it that way. But one of the things that happened at this point, which is, again, crash courses and trusting in God, is I had about five opportunities, already jobs offered to me as a teacher. And because of the instability, they had said that my wife can't be left alone. So I had to shift on my, on my schedule a little bit. All five jobs said, well, we don't want you. So sorry. So we're, we have been living off of our the money we sold to the house for and, you know, God's grace for the last six months um, because I'm not working because of that. So I'm one of the things that I've got led into is I've taken all the 15 years of experience speaking and 15 years of experience of coaching and leadership and John Maxwell. And I, I started my own business and right now in the business starting game, I'm just starting. So I'm building that like, know, and trust Mm-hmm. So that people will, will hire me. And, you know, I do nightly, 1030 every night. I do lives every night. And they're packed full of information and transformative things. I mean, if you catch one of my lives, you're going to see it. It'll jack you up, man. Um, in my group, I do the same thing. It's different content in my group because I'm trying to develop leaders and speakers. So the deal is, is that I'm just showing up. I'm continually hearing the Lord say, trust me, trust me. And I'm like, okay, God, we want to trust you. But you know, the bank account doesn't look like it trusts you because <laughs> um, you go through those struggles. But all he says is just trust me. And so I'm, I'm trying to live that out and, and continue to do what I know to do until I feel the Lord say something different. It is to our benefit to look at God and not our bank accounts. because it's very difficult because how this world is set up. Yeah, it is difficult. But yeah, yeah. And <laughs> You know, it, it's it's amazing that uh, that I think, if I'm not mistaken, they said that uh, 365 times in the Bible it says "trust me" <laughs> in it. So I'm thinking, wow, okay, so there is literally a trust me for every day of the year, if it's not for leap year, of course. But every day of the year, there's a there is a separate trust me for each day of the year in the Bible. That's it. Yep. Think, wow. Sure enough. Sure enough, my friend. So obviously, I guess that is a, a hallmark to being a Christian. You have to understand that no matter if you're going through illness, if you have uh, 
issues with money, if you have uh, issues with family members, if you are just simply going through for other reasons, to focus on God and God will be the provide God will be the provider for you. Yeah, that I could see how that could be a struggle for anybody. Oh gosh, yes. Um, but I'm going to tell you this, and this is this is going to encourage you a couple things. You know, I've actually been several people have told me that, you know that this is a Job experience for me. Mm. But even at the, even at the end of Job, Job was double blessed. He was. But this is you know. But here's what I tell people. All right. So there's a dream inside of you, and and we can't articulate that dream. We can't articulate. We know things that we want to do, but the truth of the matter is, is that when God deposits a dream, you know, like there, it's deep in there. We sometimes can talk about it, you know, like Joseph had a dream, mm-hmm. right? But then Joseph went through 15, 20 years of processing to be able to carry his dream. Right. And what we forget is when we go through something is that it's preparation time to actually be able to enjoy the dream that we've been working so hard to get. Ooh. Because many of us, if we were to walk in our dream today, our dream would fail us or we would fail our dream because we're not, we are not processed to the point to be able to shoulder the responsibility of that dream. And so we go through these seasons of suffering and seasons of process in order to build the maturity and the strength and the trust to shoulder that level of responsibility. Wow. When I was growing up, I had, this is a scripture, but this could relate to exactly what you just said. I had a poster on my wall and the first sentence and the last sentence, because it actually was a pixelated rainbow and it had had text to it on the side. The first and last sentence of that was success is a journey, not a destination. Yes. And what you just said is very apropos because and and I'm guilty of that because I've done this in my life until I, you know, matured. But I actually thought of success as a destination. Man, when I get to this point, I'll be good. And I want to get to this point right now. Right. But you, you may not have the, the seasoning. Right. <laughs> you may not have the right countenance. You may not have the right stuff along with you to properly enjoy where that destination is. So until then. Yeah. Enjoy that journey. Enjoy the lessons you learn. Enjoy the dream. Like you said with Joseph, enjoy the dream that you have because you got the, you have the end game in sight because you have it visualized. Be in, be at one with that and enjoy that on your journey to that place. And, and what I have learned is that the journey is the journey makes the destination even more enjoyable because you can not only look back at the end and say, wow, that was really a good journey. Right. But on the journey, you could say, man, I'm learning a lot about myself that Absolutely. I didn't think I knew before. Right. You know, going through this walk, it's like, wow, I'm learning. I can be this. I'm learning. I can do this. Wow. Okay. And, and it's like you're seeing these sm- other small victories that if you are just so tunnel vision and you're like, oh, well, forget this lesson, forget that lesson. I just want to get to that, that, that finish line. It, it makes the, it, it makes the journey, it makes the journey so unenjoyable. And then, like you said, if you get to that destination, uh, you probably won't be able to handle it for the most part. Right. Wow. And you think about this and I'll say, and I'll go to two places with this. Mm-hmm. Our destination, if you want a destination is life with Jesus in heaven. Right. 
every step beyond that on this side of earth is just, just getting processed to that point. And so when you have a destination, maybe you like, you want, want to be like a syndicated, uh, show host. Well, understand there's a point beyond that. There's a point beyond that. So, so you've always got to remember that there's something beyond the very thing that you're thinking, because if we serve a God of the universe, then his dream for us is so much bigger than we can even fathom. Mm-hmm. And we get finite points and it's okay to have finite points, but realize that's not truly your destination. And there will be another part of that, but you hit something on the head and it comes into enjoying the journey. And I said, and I had this conversation with somebody yesterday. I said, we're so obsessed with getting to this place, this destination that we forget we have the journey. And in that journey, we fight so hard to develop the life that we want that once we get to that life, we can't enjoy it because we're either too old or too spent or too burned out to enjoy it. Mm. And, 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 and the thing is, man, and here's what life is. Life is you're constantly becoming who you already are. Think about this. Because before the foundations of the earth were ever set, you were in God's mind. So your life is not about becoming who you think you want to be, who you think that you should be. It's about becoming who you already are in Christ. That's what it is. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. Mm. Now, you see why I, I had to have him on this show? You, you, you see why I had to have him? These nuggets that he's, he, he keeps dropping. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and he's right. Those Facebook Lives, he drops nuggets there, too. Uh, wow. I mean, I could continue on with, and I will invite you back. In fact, I'll say this on air. We will have a part two. <laughs> we will have a part two because uh, you are such an, you are such a rich person and I can hear it and I can feel it and I can sense it. Uh, but I, I hate to cut this short because it's such a great one. But before I do let you go, I ask these questions of everybody who comes on the show, at least the first time. So uh, in your life, what has been your biggest regret and or your biggest lesson learned? You can choose to answer both or one or the or one or the other. You can take your choice. Mm. That's 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 really hard. Um, I think one of my biggest regrets uh, and it's also one of my biggest lessons learned is, is how I've treated people because of my anger Ooh. when I was a teenager um, because that's not who I am. And I think if I could go back, the lesson I learned is, you know, that golden rule, treat others how you want to be treated. I take it a step further. I treat others better than I want to be treated because I just want to get, make sure that people are cared for, people are lifted up. And I didn't do that with the first part of my life. I was so angry and so miserable because I was so much in pain. And instead of dealing with the pain, I ran from it I, and I didn't care who I hurt in the way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I always say that when you walk with Christ, it is like a mirror. <laughs> it is like a soul mirror. And, oh, and yeah. it's, it's, you know, and there are many things about my past that makes me wince, just like I'm sure you could say a thing about, say the same thing about you, but it's like, man, it makes me wince. But then at the same time, I'm like, ah, I had to go through that to be here and learn how to be better. So yeah, it, that, that's a great lesson learned. Ooh, that's a powerful one. And I'm going to keep that with me. I like that. Treat people better than you want to be treated. I like that. I like that. Because yeah, no, of the art of, rec- rec- art of reciprocity, easy for me to say. Normally would be if you hang around people who want to want that energy, they will treat you better than they would treat themselves too. So yeah, 
Flipping the coin. Yeah. Flipping the coin, man. Well, remember, you exactly. attract who you are. Yeah, exactly. Yes, as so. you're, you're right about that. You attract who you are. Uh, I already know the biggest uh, accomplishment in your life because we've talked about this all throughout the show. Giving your life to Christ, there is no bigger accomplishment. Besides that, what has been the biggest accomplishment in your life? Uh, becoming a husband and a father. Hmm. I mean, without a second doubt, because the reality of it is, you know, I've been all over the world. I've started a church. I'm in the middle of writing a book. I'm starting my own podcast. I'm doing a lot of things and they're all great accomplishments. But the truth of the matter is, is my wife and my kids are the legacy I'm leaving. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's the life. My wife changed my life. It was the biggest accomplishment ever. I married up. She married down. Hey, you know, um, (laughs) and that, and then my kids, my kids are going to be raised to be the next generation of ministry, uh, missionaries and people who are going to affect this world for Christ. Like my, my little, my little six-year-old who's running around the house right now. She goes in and asks random people, do you know God? Nice. I mean, you can't be, you can't get much more proud than that because remember, mm. remember I live by the, you know, some of the scripture that says, you know, don't put your treasures in things that's going to rust. Right put it up in heaven. And what is, what is, what is heaven's currency? You know, obviously faith, but what is it? Where does faith go through people? Right. So the only thing that ever basically uh, increases in value is people. So if that's true, then my biggest accomplishments are the one I married, the one I gave birth to and the people I get to engage in and see lives changed. Mm. Wow. Those are powerful words right there. And yeah, uh, it, it's it's amazing the beauty of what a wife and children can do for you. Uh, it 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 gives it gives what God has for you an even deeper purpose and meaning. So I Absolutely. totally get why you would say that. I totally get why you could say that. Absolutely. Well, think about it like this, Cole. Is um, my life is being the the life of, that I had with my dad. God's redemptive purposes, I'm redeeming it in the life of my kids. Yes, you are. I mean, that's, that's really what it is. Glory of God, man. Redemptive purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. That's exactly what you're doing. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And, 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 and it, I know it's marvelous in God's eyes. It's definitely marvelous in mine. And, uh, I appreciate this. I appreciate this. Uh, so this is the time of the show where I let you say whatever it is on your mind and in your heart. I normally tongue in cheek say, if you have any parting shots <laughs> that you want to say to somebody, but no one takes me up on that offer. <laughs> but if you have any more words of wisdom, because you've sprinkled so many of them all throughout the interview and in conversation, whatever's in your heart and your soul and your spirit, whatever's on your tongue, Right now, I give you the floor. The floor is yours. Oh, wow. So thank you for that. I, and I want to honor that. So we'll, we'll pass on the shot since I don't have anybody to shoot at <laughs> um, because I don't hold those things. Uh, you yeah. know, I think if I would say anything, uh, it would basically be you have one life to live. Now, I know as a Christian, we get to live in eternity. But right now, we have one life to live in this flesh with these with people. and don't waste it. Don't wait until something happens. Get up there and get out there and go do it. Uh, you know, live the life. If you truly love Christ, get out there and show it. I don't care if it's, you know, handing somebody a Bible track or going to the homeless shelter to, to give food. 
live the life that, that that's going to bring you fulfillment. Because here's what I know. Most of you guys and myself included for a long time are doing things and you feel so unfulfilled and you feel so lost. You know Christ, or you may not know because not everybody, all your listeners are, are Christians, but you feel so, so lost and so unfulfilled. Why is that? Because you're sitting by waiting for your life to happen. Grab your faith, grab your Bible, grab your life, pull yourself up by the shoe straps and get out there and be engaged in this life. Mm. There's no other words I have to say about that because that, that is a powerful message on which to leave. And I agree with you 100% on that. Uh, you see why I, I love this guy and he will be on revelations again. This will not be the, this will be the last time you hear him. Uh, military veteran, speaker, husband, father, pastor, Jim Burgoon. And as you heard, he also is going to have a podcast because we'll have him back to have him plug his podcast too. And he also has a blog, jimbergoon.org. Uh, riveting stuff. I would, I would definitely say check that out. So, I would like to say thank you, Jim, for being on Revelations. You are a wonderful man, and God bless you in wherever he takes you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor to sit and chat with you. Interesting how times compel us to look back at our lives and examine it in different ways, shapes, forms, and fashions. But because you learn about yourself and you learn about life and you learn ultimately about God and his nature, you become a new thing. But the thing is, you're becoming what he has shaped you to be all along. The word says, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. So I can look at a person and say, yeah, I was an atheist and yeah, I practiced witchcraft and have a judgmental eye on them. But that's not their full story, especially if you hear how a person who did those things became redeemed. And we're supposed to celebrate the redeemed life and not the former. Many thanks to Jim Bergoon, and you can check out his blog, jimbergoon.org. You can also view his Facebook Lives every weeknight, 10.30 p.m. Eastern. For changing the world, one conversation at a time. I am Cole Johnson, and this has been Revelations. For more on Revelations, go to Pippa, spelled P-I-P-P-A dot I-O, and milehighradio.com, spelled M-I-L-E-H-I-R-A-D-I-O, every Saturday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Pacific.